Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and Mike Powell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people in your business for ultimate success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, welcome to episode 12 of Hire the Smile, the Oculus Insights podcast about all things related to human resources in the vet profession. I'm Mike Pownell, and as usual, I'm joined by my colleague, Katie Arline. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well, thanks. So, as always, we have a theme. Katie and I are looking at articles or things come up from discussions we have with clients or things that we see online that we think is pretty relevant. And I know, Katie, you've been doing a boatload of employee engagement surveys. And Mm -hmm. as part of the survey, the first part is an anonymous multi-question survey, but then you really uh, dig down by doing interviews with uh, staff members. And uh, I think the one thing we see, no matter where it is, when it is, is a lack of appreciation or a lack of a sense of gratitude. Am am I correct in going down that route? For the most part, yes. I mean, some of the higher scoring companies are uh, sort of have that locked down, the higher scoring, you know, uh, employee engagement companies, that is. Uh, But in general, a lot of the time we do see a lot of uh, people talking about how there isn't a lot of gratitude or appreciation at their company. Right. So our theme this episode is talking about gratitude and the value of having a culture that has a, a culture of thank you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny because we have both independently have been places. And I know uh, we had presented in a conference in Europe and, and some of the vets were actually getting quite agitated with us and saying, oh, we don't do that like that here. That's something you things you do in North America. And we're like, uh, we don't need to show gratitude. People are just doing their job. That's that's a North American thing. And we were like, well, based on surveys that we have done in the EU, a lack of gratitude is the number one thing. So yes. It's, yeah, so it's everywhere. I remember talking to a veterinarian oh, a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know, if you just said thank you a bit more, you'd you'd get a lot more. You know, it's not, you know, and they're like, well, why should I? They're just doing their job. And I'm like, okay. You're a vet. You go and do something. You do something heroic with an animal. You bring it back from the brink of death. You suture up something. You do whatever you do as a vet. How do you feel when the client says, thank you so much, doctor. We couldn't have done it without you. You, know, you could just see the wheel sort of click into place. And she's like, right. Definitely. All like to be appreciated. It's funny. I, I just spoke to uh, somebody today doing these one of these follow-up interviews. And I asked him what appreciation or gratitude looks like to him. And he says, it's the most meaningful when you think you're sort of just doing your job and you have a client who says, oh my gosh, you were, you know, this is an equine vet. Oh my gosh, you were wonderful for that call. And we really appreciate you. And, you know, he kind of thought, oh, well, that's, that's a really nice thing because I, I figure I'm just doing my job, but the client is feeling this impact and it's nice to hear it. So yeah, uh, yeah it's funny you mentioned that. Especially as veterinarians, when if everybody just said, 
okay yeah and, no thank you just look okay and you're like but, 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 but i just brought your animal back from the brink of dying and you're just doing your job yeah why could i thank you and i think when you put it in that place people sort of get it so those are great anecdotal stories but we have research oh Deep yes research. So, so. hot off the presses research yeah, so Katie, share the article that uh, you are pretty excited to talk about. Totes. Okay, so the article I'm talking about is from the HCA magazine, which is an offshoot of HR Director uh, magazine. And the article summarizes a study that OC, the OC Tanner Institute put together this year. Uh, some people might recognize OC Tanner as a company that specializes in uh, employee appreciation through, you know, uh, actual gifts and rewards and things like that. But they take it a step further and they actually do research to sort of support what they're doing. And I think the research arm is really, really interesting, the stuff they do. So uh, this person from HR director, Mallory Henry, put together this article that sort of goes over some of the more pertinent findings from the uh, 2021 Global Culture Report that OC Tanner has put together. Uh, and, you know, OC Tanner is a giant company, so they're able to access 40,000 people that were surveyed or they were part of focus groups. And they had something like 2 million data points that they could work with. So lots of information, which is really nice. And what this global culture report measures is the impact of various factors on workplace cultures. Uh, you know, so factors could include crises, so such as COVID-19, technology, recognition, inclusion, and leadership. And what they said was uh, really the recognition part of things jumped out at them this year. Uh, and when they saw that companies put recognition on hold, there was a 14% increase in mental exhaustion a 49% decrease in engagement, which is huge, and a 20% increase in people's intention to leave. So uh, when we talk about recognition, you know, Mike, you talked about, we talked about it, it could be as simple as a thank you, but it's, it's really recognizing that people are A, showing up and doing their job every day, but also going above and beyond. And I think uh, when OC Tanner talks about recognition programs, they're probably also talking about companies suspending their like physical you know, here you get a watch or you get this or whatever it is, because that's what they do. But, you know, when people are like, oh, we're in crisis mode, we're just going to get through this and we're not going to recognize people uh, if that's what they're focusing on. So it goes on to say recognition is specific feedback when somebody does something exemplary. I found in another article, it's really when people go above and beyond, uh, when they help make someone else's work life better or they improve the functioning of the organization. So that's sort of what recognition is to OC Tanner. And when people do more and they are not recognized, when they go above and beyond and they're not recognized, they become sour, they try less, they're less likely to do it again in the future. And this is something we hear uh, when we talk to companies that have lower employee engagement scores you know, you have staff who may have been initially very keen and they went above and beyond and it either wasn't recognized at all or it was abused and expected. And they felt like they were, you know, they weren't getting enough remuneration for the effort they were putting in. So I thought that was really interesting. And when they talk about tying recognition into a company's culture's building blocks, they talk about recognition being and culture being the stories, the values you know, the people who are heroes at the company, people who share a commitment to each other. Uh, when leaders see the true value of their people, 
they acknowledge the sacrifice and the resilience that they are showing during trying times. So that's what we've gone through right now. People really pulling together and doing what needs to be done during COVID. Uh, and talks about how it's really important to make recognition a specific effort, make it special and encourage other people to do the same. So of course, OC Tanner being a company who does recognition, of course, they want to make it a specific effort because that's where their bread and butter comes from. But I think it's still important to, to recognize that. So, you know, if you have a program where you have some mechanism for uh, recognizing people in a formal way in front of other people, they say that it's very important not to suspend that and to really make sure that keeps going. And to encourage managers and leaders to ensure that they are still showing that recognition on a regular basis. I was just thinking about that because, you know, we've talked about this in the past. There's a lot of things that we do in human resources, developing a muscle. Last time we talked about the resilience muscle. And I think the mm-hmm. gratitude or appreciation muscle is one we need to work on it. You know, as we were prepping for this podcast, I was reading the articles and, you know, I, I still run my own practice. And all of a sudden I was like, dude, you've been kind of slacking on this lately. Mm -hmm. And I kind of shamed myself of like, yeah, you got to get out there more and recognize people. I mean, people are working harder this year. And I said, I'm giving myself a D in the last month of, of, of showing appreciation and gratitude. So I just, I'll throw myself out in public and just say, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's something like, I don't know, I've got on Peloton when I got a Peloton bike and I'm religiously doing it six times a week. So to me, it's that same kind of muscle, but I've got to just like, this is first and foremost, something that I've got to exercise a lot because all of a sudden you think you're doing it and then you go back and you look at emails or texts or any other communication you have with staff you're like "Ooh, the last time i spoke to them or thanked them was a month ago and i'm like that's just that's not acceptable yeah and really making it um something specific and making it you know personalized as well you know not just saying thank you for breathing but thank you for staying for those extra two hours uh after the snowstorm or whatever the case may be just so people uh, don't sort of get a bit immune to it. Uh, you know, if you give people sort of meaningless thanks and it's really obvious that you're just saying thank you to say thank you, it wears off. The effect of that wears off after a while. So you have to be a bit careful about it as well. Not that I'm saying no, you, that's what you do. But no, no, but you don't want to be superficial. And if, if you're the person totally. that comes by and because we've all know those people and everybody is just like, hey, and the, you know, the attaboys and aren't you doing a great job? And and it's just the, the insincerity is is worse than not doing it at all. Definitely. So the article goes on, and this is sort of more talking generally about culture, uh, which is sort of, you know, the overarching theme of what we talk about here. Uh, But the OC Tanner measured the impact of the pandemic on a strong versus a weak culture. And they have their sort of own proprietary specific measure for determining what is strong versus what is weak. And you can download their entire report. This was just an article about the report, but you can download the report where they go into more detail. But I thought it was really interesting. If you think of a company's culture as sort of that umbrella that shields uh, the group of people when uh, if you think of rain as, you know, COVID is the rain and and you're really trying to to come out on the other side of something. If you have a stronger culture, it's that much easier. Sure. And so the numbers that they found here, I think are just amazing. So in the category of engagement, uh, they saw a 1% decrease in employee engagement scores in this, you know, during COVID, if a company had a strong culture, 
If a company had a weak culture, they saw a 52% decrease. 52? So one, yeah, it's insane. Five, two. Five, two, 52. Wow. Yeah. Uh, retention, a strong culture, there was a 2.6% decrease in rates of retention. In a weak culture, 53% decrease. In employee net promoter score, so I don't know that we've talked about net promoter score. No. We should. Um, but net promoter score, basically, an employee net promoter score is a simple question. You know, how likely are you to recommend that a friend or family member work for an organization? Uh, a strong culture, they saw a 5% drop in that variable. A weak culture, it was a 63% drop. So huge. That's crazy. Huge, huge, huge. I am looking forward to downloading the report and reading more because I thought these numbers are just profound. You know, we have some companies that we work with and they've seen, um, you know, they're a stronger uh, score overall. And you see they've had like a one or 2% drop in an employee engagement and they're just beside themselves trying to figure out what's happened. And it's like, okay, well, let's put this into perspective and how much worse it would be at a company that has a weaker culture. So huge. So yeah, I mean, they talk about this being due to the impact of COVID, obviously, plus the effects of a culture that doesn't help them feel included and supported. Uh, so that would have a profound effect. Something else they found uh, on the leadership point was, and this is really interesting. I thought you'd be interested to hear this. So the increased visibility of senior leadership, including, you know, messaging or just being out and about or, you know, just making sure that they were staying connected with their staff, even if one of one half of either the leader or the staff were remote work people. Before COVID, they might, the staff would characterize, um, you know, owners or managers just as management, which can have sort of a negative connotation. But then after COVID or this, at this point in COVID, they saw a switch, OC Tanner saw a switch where employees refer to them as leadership instead. So there's more of that positive connotation of a leader. You know, they're more relatable. There's more connection and trust that's right. been built. So, you know, for companies where they've had leaders who have been very transparent and told the truth about what was going on, the leaders have been able to make a greater connection with the staff in those instances. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, that's sort of the, that's the theme we've been having all along. It was just leadership and transparency. So it's, it's nice to see that it's being validated. Yeah. This, so that's really cool. I mean, you know, they had a couple of million data points they were measuring. So they were able to distill it down to this as well, which I thought was really, really interesting. So again, this is um, a report, the 2021 Global Culture Report from OC Tanner. And we'll put a link to it in our um, podcast notes so people can download it if they feel like being HR nerds, Excellent. which everybody should be. Well, of course. Hey, before we jump to my article, we're just going to take a break and listen to a message from our sponsors, Advice from Oculus. Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name a few. Veterinarians also struggle with navigating and managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt. When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. 
Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession. Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you. We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. It's as easy as picking your advisor or coach and booking your time. It's all done online. And for a limited time only, we are offering a 20% savings for all first-time Advice by Oculus users. Advice by Oculus. Consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. Okay, we're back. And so I found a really interesting article last week from uh, Harvard Business Review. It's titled, Building a Better Workplace Starts with Saying Thanks. It couldn't have more explicit title than that. Mm-hmm. And so basically they say, you know, when we lose sight of the positive and we focus on the negative, we're more likely to treat our colleagues poorly. This spreads and then all of a sudden you have this organization that is just, they don't take care of their people. And, you know, they sort of rehash the data that these kind of companies, they don't make as much money. They spend a lot more time managing people and managing problems. You know, it tends to lead to bullying, what have you. And so, you know, what they wanted to do is, you know, their question is, can and people purposely cultivate feelings of gratitude uh, simply and what would be the effect of that? And they, they talk about there's been some research on gratitude groups or sending somebody a thank you uh, letter, what have you. But what they thought about is let's start and do something that's called gratitude journal in terms of having a journal and you're writing in positive things. Mm-hmm. The literature on this in psychology says there's four areas that could explain why gratitude journaling works. Number one, it strengthens motivation to behave pro-socially. I have never heard that word before, but I like it. Pro-social. Yeah, that's an antisocial. Fosters closer interpersonal relationships, improves self-control, and enhanced feelings of support. I like the self-control. There's something I want to talk about later. So they had a study. And so what they did is they got 147 volunteers, wide range of industries, split up the groups. And they said, okay, those in the one group, you're in the gratitude group. You're going to write this gratitude journal. You're going to write about people, events, things that work that you were grateful for. The other group is just going to chronicle their day. Mm-hmm. So after a 10-day period, uh, all the employees completed an online survey to see if this journaling had any kind of impact on that I'm going to say it again, pro-social motivation, uh, self-control, perceived support, relationship closeness. A week later, they asked the co-workers of the people that were in the study to complete a survey as well, sort of report on how the employee or the other two other employee was in terms of their pro-social abilities, where the rudeness factor, what have you. What they found is that the gratitude journaling uh, worked 
to decrease workplace rudeness by enhancing participants' self-control. The people in this gratitude uh, journaling, uh, they reported greater self-control. And their coworkers said, you know, they were less rude. They they didn't gossip as much. There was less ostracism at work. And so they actually did the journal. They did it again to say, wow, this is amazing. So they actually duplicated this with even more people and found similar results. Mm-hmm. So what I thought was interesting, I'm going to talk about their three things that they brought up, but there's a couple of things I, uh, I want to talk about too. Is So number one, back to what you were talking about, leaders need to serve as role models. So if you're going to have a gratitude culture, the leaders have to show the gratitude and they say the same thing. It can't be hokey. It can't be superficial. It has to be authentic. And uh, they talk about the one one CEO of Campbell Soup who they said over a lifetime wrote 30,000 handwritten thank you notes to his employees. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, it's that reminds me um, of a personal story. So we had a, a family friend who was the head of um, like Ontario Small Business Association for many, many years. And he was in and out of Queen's Park and did a lot of lobbying. And unfortunately, he... So Queen's Park, that's the seat of our government in Ontario. Yeah, that's our, our provincial government. He unfortunately passed away way too early of Parkinson's, probably about 10 or 15 years ago now. And I remember being at his funeral and somebody that he'd worked with uh, in his professional life came up and said, you know, the thing that, that struck me most about Jim was every Friday he would sit down and he would hand write thank you cards and give them out to his staff and that everybody looked forward to it. You know, like who's going to get a note from Jim this week. And that had such a profound effect on them, you know, versus any of the other wonderful things that he did. They remembered how he recognized people and how he spread that gratitude around. And that was his legacy. So I thought that was, you know, a really good example of the effect that you can have on people. If you just do something simple like this. Absolutely. And it's sort of, if you've taken the time to write something, it's, it, it mm-hmm. is personal, it is genuine. Uh, and so that's the second point, which is actually, is you make time and space for gratitude. You make the time to write these thank you notes. You make the time to reach out to employees and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's just these gratitude check-ins they talk about. And and then finally, allow employees to interact with beneficiaries and i.e. in our business would be in the clients. And I think, you know, whenever we get a positive review, whether it's on Facebook, Google, an email, a message from a client, we make sure to share it with everybody because, you know, in our industry, you you know, we're not always part of every interaction because we're so spaced out, whether you're in the exam room or in surgery or whatever. And so really sharing those messages really, really, I think really people really benefit from it. So I was thinking of two things about this when, um, when I was reading my article. And one was, I remember back when I first got into vet school, I was just, I, I was, I had moved to a new area. I didn't know anybody. I was a mature student. I, I was pretty withdrawn. I just didn't know where I was. And I thought this is not really a good place to be. And one day I just said, I got to change my attitude. It's easier for me to do that. I'm not typically one that looks at a glass half empty. I'm not much of a downer person. So I said, I'm just going to start smiling at everybody I walk by mm-hmm. and just have a smile on my face. And what I realized is just a, probably half the people thought I was insane, but you could see a lot of people like in the distance, you know, you're on a street or waiting for the subway or whatever. And somebody's walking towards you. You can just see like they're having a crappy day or things aren't good. 
And when they look up and they, you know, and everybody, you know, you're in a city, you sort of have that guard up. And when they look up and they see somebody that's genuinely smile, it was amazing. Every single person was smiled back. And I was yeah. like, such a small thing can really have an impact on people. And so again, I think that is that gratitude muscle or that muscle of appreciation that just by having that mindset really can help. One of my favorite business books in the last couple of years is by uh, Marcus Buckingham, Ashley Goodall, uh, Nine Lies About Work. And I'll put that mm-hmm. link into the podcast mm-hmm. notes. And I was just sort of reviewing that he has a pretty good section on gratitude. And and, and the one a statistic, you know, is positive feedback is 30 times more powerful than negative feedback to creating a high performance teams. And so wow. that's large. And there's other statistics in terms of we should have sort of like, I think it was like a five to one ratio. It might even be higher of the thank yous to the, the I'm not going to call them criticisms, but, you know, constructive feedback. constructive feedback type thing. And, you know, we, we do like it and I don't think it shows weakness. It doesn't, you know, I think the more we can do it, the better. One thing I thought was interesting, I was reading this HBR article, improve self-control. And when they said the people that uh, did the gratitude journaling had better self-control. And so we used to always think, and I know in our company, and we used to espouse that, you know, it's okay to vent, but you got to vent with people that can do something about it. So you're at Mm -hmm. work, crappy things happen all the time. You want to vent, you get frustrated. I couldn't find the research, but I remember it because it really, really impressed me so much. And what they have found recently is that when people vent, it doesn't clear how you feel about things. You haven't purged all the ill will you have. In fact, you've exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is that venting, it fosters a negative feedback. And so that's why I thought the gratitude journaling would be so, it's such a good idea or or just to have the mindset of gratitude in, in terms of when instead of venting, all right, let's sit back, let's think about the things that have gone well today. What has this person done well recently? instead of focusing right away and, and going right to the negative. Yeah. And, and it sounds like we're trying to get people to join a cult or something like that, but it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of simple stuff that we lose track of that is so meaningful to people. Definitely. And I think there's a place, you know, sometimes people just need somebody to listen to them and then they're fine, you know, which is, I think where venting still has its place, but if it's all sure. you're doing is venting and it's, yep. you're venting about the same thing to multiple people, it's like, okay, well, you need to either do something about this or you need to let 100%. it go. So, uh, you know, sometimes people just don't have anybody to talk to, Yeah, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was doing reading and, and, um, and then somewhere else about the gratitude journal thing. And I always thought it was a bit cheesy, very Oprah Winfrey ish. And I was like, this is really, you know, cheese ball. But then I read that the research says that, you know, along the lines of what you were saying is it rewires your brain uh, in positive ways. And that, mm-hmm. that, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And, you know, the study you talked about really bears that out is, you know, people are happier when they practice gratitude. So I'm going to start uh, tonight. I'm going to start a gratitude journal and see what are happens. You? All mm-hmm. right. Let's check we'll in on that. Like, N of one and see what happens. But, uh, but yeah, I thought, uh, really interesting stuff for sure. Um, you know, and so let's be clear though, just as people that may not know you, it's not like you're the most negative, miserable person <laughs> to be around. So I, I don't know if you're going to get like huge bumps in the way you feel. No, but you're, still, you're actually I mean, fairly positive. What the heck? What the can't heck? hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Walk the talk. Yeah, walk exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. 
Are you good? Can we talk about quickly about this the third article? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I found righteous. Then okay. Into our wins and fails. For sure. Okay. So the third article that we're talking about um, is called The Science, Gotta Love Science, Behind Gratitude at Work. And it's from the same website, HBR. This one's written by a gal named Rachel Renosa. Uh, and this talks about, uh, you know, along those lines of the gratitude journal rewiring people's brains. Uh, behavior experts, behavioral experts recommend practicing gratitude and being thankful. Uh, and it can help your mind stay focused on what matters. Uh, and then there's a, a study published in the Academy of Management Review, which says that um, gratitude exists on multiple levels in the workplace. And I mean, who knows if this is, you know, the science with a capital S, but the, they do talk about sort of different types of gratitude and how they can flow into each other. So the first is episodic gratitude, and it's sort of what we've been talking about. So, you know, showing gratitude from specific events or, or things happening, um, you know, recognizing small things, uh, recognizing some bigger things, but those sort of gold star type programs that we have in workplaces where, you know, somebody has gone above and beyond to help make someone else's work life better, or they're improving the functioning of the organization, we're going to recognize them. So that's episodic. It's sort of a one and done type thing, which I think we're probably all familiar. Yep. Uh, and they say that that kind of flows into a more persistent state of gratitude. So in the workplace, they uh, characterize this as, quote, a stable ten tendency to feel grateful. So it's that sort of rewiring that we were talking about. Um, you know, you see more um, positive overall. You see that episodic uh, gratitude happening everywhere. And you're like, OK, this is actually more of a positive place to work. I'm going to feel more positive overall. Uh, and then the third kind of gratitude they talk about is collective gratitude. So um, this is a little more esoteric, I think. So it refers to the individual or subjective experience of experience of gratitude converging into a shared organizational level phenomenon. So really, that's a fancy way of saying that uh, gratitude becomes part of the social context of the organization, which is really culture. I mean, that's what culture is, is the social context of an organization. It becomes a norm. So I thought it was interesting to sort of think about how, you know, starting from the seed of that one, you know, point of gratitude flows into it being more of a overall practice culture thing. And I thought that, you know, we talked a bit about the journaling, but they were also talking about how it's important, and I hadn't thought about this before, in staff meetings, I mean, so often when we have a staff meeting, we're talking about a problem. We're talking about problem solving. We're talking about how to make things better. But they say that we should take time to dissect things that went well. So, you know, if you had a, um, an initiative and just everybody knocked it out of the park, we should be talking about that too in a staff meeting, not just the stuff that needs fixing. And I hadn't, I don't know if you'd thought about that before, but uh, mm. it's like, oh yeah, reflective activities as part of a team meeting. Sure, of course. Yeah, you know, where idea. we made progress, why we made progress. So we can codify the positive behaviors that led us to positive outcomes. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, very much so. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So in talking about uh, great things, uh, we have our wins or fails. So mm. let's start with our fails and then we can go to our wins and end on a positive note. Mm -hmm. So my fail, I had, I had two, uh, I'm just going to do one is just, uh, it was very sad that, uh, Tony Shea, the founder of mm. Zappos died tragically as a result of consequences of injuries in a house fire. And he was, uh, famous for 
developing a very unique culture at Zappos. He, he wrote a book, Delivering Happiness, and he was really influential on, uh, when I read that book. And it really helped me get down the whole path of, of exploring culture. So I just, uh, that was a sad, that mm-hmm. was really tragic. But, you know, the, the thing is with Tony is the stuff lives on and his books his, his, is what he started. So my real fail, though, is I was reading a book called The Secret Life of Groceries, and I'm always curious about how things happen what goes on behind the scenes love those reality shows of what's going on behind the scenes and i just so this one this great researcher many years worked at a lot of top grocery chains but explored i guess the logistics or what goes behind the scenes in terms of how does food get delivered to you how is fish caught all these things it was a fascinating read but there were times that it was so damn freaking depressing that I actually had mm-hmm. to put it down. And I, I don't remember the last time I actually had to put down a book and go, I can't read this anymore. The two examples were he spent time with truckers in the United States. And I imagine it's the exact same thing in Canada. It's probably the same thing in Europe too. It's just how poorly they are paid for the amount of hours they put in, how much risk they put in to deliver our food or whatever it is. Um, it's just like they're almost in an uns- unsafe working conditions. Like mm-hmm. this is the one case is, you know, the female truckers, when they go to the gas station, they don't leave the truck at night. Like mm-hmm. they urinate in the truck as opposed to going out and going in. Like they'll go in in the daytime. They all have dogs with them because it's such an unsafe environment. And it was just, it was so damn bleak. And then the other part of it was the fishermen, primarily in off Thailand, who are basically slaves that work on fishing boats and will often not even touch land for years because what? there's mother ships that will come to them in the ocean, offload their ship, give them supplies, fuel, whatever they need. And, you know, the one story was a guy, I think it was like for seven years, he was on this one ship. It was so depressing because we are so habituated to getting cheap stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why it's cheap. And usually why is somewhere down the pipeline is cheap labor. And the, the problem is, and they talk about it in the book, is we can have cheap labor because, and the reality is people are so replaceable. There's always somebody that's going to want to fill in the job. And it just in terms of we're talking about HR and people, it just, it just reminded me of just, in our profession, we're generally doing pretty good. Uh, other places, it's just it was just bleak. So I don't want to get too much because I'm just going to have everybody just being, I'm, I don't want to be Danny Downer, but it was, it was profound. Yeah. What was your fail? Uh, mine's not much better. So my <laughs> fail is, uh, so here in Canada, you know, there's various levels of policing. Uh, and what we have, you know, municipalities will obviously have their own police forces. And then if you're sort of a smaller community in a more remote area of Canada, then you might get policing services from our national police force, which is the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Uh, And they're sort of the symbol of Canada, what, you know, people think of stereotypically when they think of Canada, big hats, red uniforms, sitting on horses, that's the RCMP. So um, I know where you're going with this. this So basically, um, the what first happened was, uh, you know, and and there's been whisperings of this for years, that uh, basically 2300 women were compensated through a class action lawsuit uh, because there is, uh, it's it's basically a a sexual assault settlement. So there's this pervasive misogynistic 
all through the levels, uh, culture of, uh, you know, inappropriate behavior and just rotten, rotten people at the RCMP. You know, 2,300 women received compensation. And then the Supreme Court of Canada, just a former Supreme Court of Canada justice was tasked with uh, sort of probing and making recommendations on what needs to be done. And basically what he said was uh, his report, Michel Bastarache, his report was called Broken Dreams, Broken Lives. And it talks about how the, the toxic culture of the RCMP is at all levels. This isn't like a bad apples kind of thing. This is the culture of the organization. And this is a quote from him. What I learned led me to conclude that a toxic culture prevails in the RCMP. This culture encourages or at least tolerates misogynistic, racist, and homophobic attitudes among many members of the RCMP. And it's systemic and it can't be solved by just punishing a few people. It needs an entire overhaul, you know, and it goes on, you know, to talk about what needs to be done. And I think it's just, it's so sad because we talk about, you know, it often comes up in, in news here, the treatment that our Indigenous folks in Canada receive from the RCMP. And you just think, this can't possibly, how can this happen? And when you see a report you're like, like this, you say, well, this is how it can happen. This is the culture sure. of this place. Yeah. You know, and I know my, my dad's a retired policeman and I know he always, you know, the musical ride would come, which is, you know, a, you know, group of Mounties on horses and they do riding to music. And he'd be like that, you know, it looks sunshine and roses, but everybody knows that the RCMP is rotten. And I mean, this is, yeah. you know, from 30, 40 years ago. So I, I would hate to be in charge or it would be quite a challenge to be in charge of turning this around, but this is a major fail because this is such a, a deeply rooted Canadian organization that goes back to confederation basically. Right, so right, very right. sad. Wow. Uh, so that's my fail. Uh, tell me about your win, Mike. So mine's a bit of a started off as a fail turned into a win. So um, Microsoft announced a new product called productivity score. And it came out in the fall a couple months ago. And it basically, it, sh- it was supposed to tell managers, you know, like, how productive is your staff? And basically what it was is it's a work monitoring tool. And the pushback was quick and it was loud from everybody saying, you're just, you're putting out a tool so managers, particularly with a lot of remote workers, can see how you know, quote unquote productive it is, but basically is, is your staff screwing off? Are they doing mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do? And it, that just to me was like, just that's the antithesis of anything to do with human resources. We need to be trusting people. And if you had a good organization, people aren't going to screw off. That was the fail part. But within a week, Microsoft said, oops, yeah, we screwed up. And they're taking the product off and they're stopping it and just removing the feature 100% altogether. So it, to me, it's a win when somebody is that responsive and not just like, well, no, it's important. And, and, and just you know, doubling down on, no, it's just a productivity tool. No, it's a spy tool. Because yeah. they, they included it in with all the word and all the off, you know, all their suites of yes. stuff. So. So, yeah, so good for you, Microsoft, for listening and and realizing that that was not what we need right now. Definitely. Okay. So my win was a fail in a previous uh, episode of Hire the Smile. But basically, this is Amazon. So 
we all know what Amazon is and what they do. Uh, but basically, they have announced that they are going to spend more than 500 million US dollars on bonuses for frontline staff who are scheduled to work during the holidays. So uh, US based full time employees uh, will get a $300 one time bonus and part time employees will get 150 for reporting to work between December 1st and 31st. Nice. Uh, so, you know, I mean, obviously, I can't imagine how busy it's going to be at Amazon in the holiday season, particularly this year. But, you know, we've talked a lot about how Amazon hasn't taken care of employees during COVID with, I think it was 50,000 COVID cases, uh, you know, across the globe, but at least they're doing something. And $500 million is uh, no small amount of money. So I thought it was nice uh, that they are doing this. And they did do another sort of similar sized bonus earlier in the year to recognize how hard people were working. So wonderful. Yeah. All right. Happy so note. big companies can listen. And so, uh, yes. so small companies. So exactly. it's even easier for us. So thanks, Katie. Thanks, Mike. I do appreciate this. And uh, this was a good session. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. 